We're very pleased to have with us today, Dr. Sorry? Yes. Do you know what? I'll introduce the speaker and then you can read the scripture. How's that? All right? Good. We're doing it on the fly. Thanks, Tom. Just before we read the scripture, I'm going to introduce our speaker and then you can come right into the sermon. We're really pleased this morning to have Dr. Dave Johnson. Dave, do you prefer Dave or David or hey you, Dave? Okay, this is Dave. Unless you're a student, then it's Dr. Johnson. Okay. But for our purposes, Dave is here this morning. He is president of uh, Providence University College uh, just outside of town in Otterburn. Um, Dave was, uh, started out as a pastor in uh, southern Minnesota. Then he got a master's degree at Dallas Theological Seminary and then later on a PhD at uh, Trinity Divinity School. He is a New Testament specialist. And uh, I'm very impressed with who he is. My first impressions of him are, not, are, are very favorable and not just because he's got a great resume and a great CV, but I love his heart. And he's got a heart for Jesus. He's got a heart for people. He's got a heart for God. And I think that's going to come out right after the scripture is read. All right? And Dave's hanging around for lunch. So that's another reason to stay for lunch. Okay? It's not every day we have a president here, so let's make the most of it. All right? Father, I pray that you would anoint the reading of the word and that you would anoint Dave Johnson as he shares your message for us today. And I pray that you would scoop the spiritual wax out of our ears so we would hear and obey, not just listen, but we'd hear and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Our final passage of scripture this morning is taken from the book of the Revelation, chapter 19, beginning at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except him. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. On his robe at his thigh was written his title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. It is one of the great honors of my life, and I'm, I'm speaking very seriously here, uh, one of the great honors of my life to be able to preach here at Elam Chapel. Uh, this is a historic church. This is a church that has had a, uh, an influence across Western Canada 
that is uh, unrivaled by any other church. And I, I don't know if you know that about your church, uh, but it is true. And you can read about it in various places, but this church has had a tremendous influence in Western Canada. Um, it was sort of the jumping off place for, for the gospel to go west. And hundreds of, of great preachers have preached from this, uh, from this pulpit, not necessarily this one, but, but uh, from this, from this uh, platform. And it's a delight to be here. Um, I don't count myself among those great preachers, but, uh, but nonetheless, this is, a, this is a great honor. And so I, would, I appreciate the invitation uh, from Doug and then from Rick to, to be here. I want to bring you greetings from Providence, uh, Providence University College, Providence Theological Seminary, and now also what's called Mile 2. Providence University College is an undergraduate program, undergraduate school, um, although we just started a graduate program in uh, in teaching English as a second language, so I can't just call it the undergraduate program anymore. Uh, And then uh, Providence Seminary is a place that trains pastors, and in particular, uh, we trained counselors. We have about uh, 90 um, people in our counseling program. I would say, without checking, I would say we're probably one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, Christian counseling training centers in Canada. So uh, that's, that's one of our claims to fame. And then we've started a new discipleship program this year called Mile 2, a new discipleship school. Uh, it's for 18 to 24-year-olds, and we have nine students this year. They will be involved in studying the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in the eight months they're with us. They will also, uh, also be involved in various places in Winnipeg and Steinbeck. Um, and they're working at Siloam Mission and Lighthouse Ministries. Every, every week they'll go back to the same place. They'll learn the names of, of homeless people and they'll spend time with them and, uh, and learn what discipleship is all about. And then they're also going to take a, a two-week trip to Israel to uh, learn the Bible in the land of the Bible. That's brand new this year. We have nine students. Uh, We're looking for more next year. So uh, if you're interested in any of those things, I brought uh, a few catalogs or a few uh, view books. I don't know if there's still any there. They may be all gone already. But uh, you can look us up on the web and find us under prov.ca or Providence uh, University College, Providence Seminary, whatever you want to look at. You'll find us uh, just south of here, uh, about a half an hour in Otterburn. Manitoba. If you have a Bible, I would like you to open it to, or turn it on, to, uh, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And I would like to begin with prayer. We thank you, God, for all that you have done for us. We thank you that you have provided for us our salvation, most of all. We thank you for Jesus for his great grace, and for his sacrifice in our place. We thank you for the celebration this morning of the Lord's table and for all that that means to us. And our prayer now is that you would silence in us any voice but yours, that you would speak to us by your spirit through your word, and that that word would penetrate to the very depths of our being and change us so that we go forth from this place as different people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Genesis chapter 1 is uh, a passage, of course, that is we study a lot, we look at a lot. And, and I used to study this passage, and I used to tell people, and I've heard it said, and, and I used to tell people the same thing, that this passage is really not about how, how God created the world. The important thing to gain from this passage is that God created the world. And I have come to realize that I was wrong. Now, that should give you a lot of confidence in this message. Uh, But I was wrong. This passage is precisely about how God did it. Not just that he created the world, but how did God create the heavens and the earth? So let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless. It was chaos. It was empty. And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. That's one. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And so on the very first day, God overcomes the problem of darkness. Verse 6. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. Uh, Now that's two. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so, and God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, verse 9, And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. So that's number three. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, and that's four, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that, that bear fruit and seed in it, and so forth on down, and that was the third day. And so what God does in the first three days of creation is overcome the problem of darkness, and he overcomes the problem of formlessness. He gives things form. That's why the word separation is used so often there, because God gives things form in those first three days. He overcomes darkness. He gives it form. And then in verse 14 we read, And God said, and that's five, that let there be lights in the fault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky. And so God creates the sun and the moon and the stars. And they govern the the day and the night and so forth. Uh, And that's day four. Then verse 20. And God said, now that's six, let the earth teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing which teems in the waters. And he also created the birds that fly in the sky. And so, so God on the fifth day uh, fills the sky and, the, and the, um, the seas. And then we come to verse 24, and God said, and that's seven, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, the wild animals, each according to its kind, and God made them all. And then in verse 
26 we read, Then God said, and that's 8, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the, all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And God said, and that's nine, to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, and that's ten, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and to all, and all the creatures in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that I that has breath, the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And so on the first day of creation, God overcomes the problem of darkness. And in the next three days, or those first three days, in, in all of this separation, um, he, he gives that which is chaotic form, that which is formless, he gives form. And then on the last three days, he takes that which is empty and fills it with living creatures. And that's what God does in his creation. And how does he do it? How does he accomplish this? Ten times the text says, And God said. God did it by speaking. God overcame the darkness and the chaos and the emptiness of the world by his word, by speaking his word. And it is no accident that, he said, that, that the text records the fact that God spoke ten times. Ten times. Because there's another place in the Pentateuch, in the, in, the, in the writings of the first five books, the writings attributed to Moses, there's another place where God speaks ten times. And you know where that place is because we recite it all the time. We talk about it all the time. We don't recite them anymore and you probably don't have them memorized, but, but it's the Ten Commandments. In fact, at one point they're called the Ten Words. The Ten Words of God. And, and as Moses put all of this together in, in the writing of the Pentateuch, I don't think, I, I, I do think, to put it that way, I do think he intended for us to draw a parallel. As God overcomes, overcame the, the darkness and the chaos and the emptiness of the world that he originally created, so he overcomes the darkness and the chaos and the emptiness of our lives in the same way, by speaking, by his word. It's his word that overcomes the, the things in our lives. And, and, and Moses has this idea in mind. This is how God works, by, by, by speaking. And when you read the prophets, you'll find that, that that's what they point out. They, they, they compare the prophets with the idols, or they compare God with the idols. And they say the idols don't speak. 
But our God speaks. That's why at the very end of, of Moses' writings, at the end of Deuteronomy, right, be, right after he gives his great poem in Deuteronomy 32, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 44, Moses has finished now writing the whole five books. And he gathers the people around him, and, and, and he says to them in verse 45, When Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that you may command them to your children, so that you may pass them on, so that you may command them to your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They're not just words on a page. What does he say? They're not just idle words for you. They are your life. This, Moses, you can almost picture him standing there. You know, this old guy, 120 years old, and he's standing there, and he's got these five scrolls that he has just finished writing, and he holds them up, and he says, This is your life. It's not just a story about your life. It's not just a story that gives you life. It is your life. Your whole life is in this book. That's why in, in a couple of, of chapters later, after Moses is dead and, and Joshua is, is ready to take over the people and to march into the land of, of, of Palestine or Canaan and take it uh, in the promised land, God speaks to him. And he says in verse 8 of chapter 1, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Take this book, Joshua, that Moses has written and embed it in your mind. Meditate on it day and night. And you will be successful because this is the power of God. And that's why when you go to the Psalms, uh, in Psalm 1, we have the same phrase repeated. The only two times in the Bible where this phrase is repeated, meditate on it day and night, um, is, is Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 and then in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the co company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. This word that is your life, that is God's power to overcome the darkness and the, and the, and the emptiness of life and the chaos that we face, this word is to be in your mind and heart. You're to meditate on it day and night. And that's why, that's why when you come to the prophets and you come to somebody like Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55, the people are sitting in exile. Isaiah is writing ahead of time. To, he knows that the people are going into exile, and he's writing to those people who are going to be in exile. And they, and, and, and they are wondering, where is God? 
Where is, where is the power? He's made all these promises to us, and here we sit in, in, a, in a foreign land. We're slaves in a foreign land. Where is God in all of this? And Isaiah says this, in, speaking for God, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. So, so he's promising them sustenance. He's promising them life. And he says this, and listen carefully to what he says. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good. And you will have delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. What he's saying is listen to my word. God is saying that. This is your life. This is how you live. Seek the Lord. Later on, he's, he talks about the promise to, to David and so forth. And then he goes on in, uh, in verse 6 and says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. So he says, Seek the Lord. And then he goes on and he says in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God says, this is my word. And it always, it always accomplishes its purpose. God's word never fails. It is that power of God by which he overcomes the darkness and the chaos and the emptiness of life. And it never fails to do that. It's this word. Now, when we come to the New Testament, interestingly, what we find in, in Matthew at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is this little story that you all know about the man who builds his house upon the rock in Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, everyone who hears, Jesus says this now, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man, a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And the rock is the words of Christ. And Jesus is claiming to be, to, to have those words of God that are powerful. And that's why in John 1.1, as you all know, John writes, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus is the incarnation of this Word in the Old Testament, this powerful Word in the Old Testament. And that's why later on, the Apostle Paul in, uh, in 2 Timothy says this. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. He's writing to young Timothy, who is, who is a pastor now, and he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard, notice the word heard me say, 
in the presence of many witnesses and trust to the reliable people who will also be, able, be qualified to teach others. Because what we are doing as a church is passing on this word from one generation to another, to another, to another. And why do we do that? Because this word is powerful. That's why Paul says in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. It comes from God, from the very mouth of God. God spoke it all. And it is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. This word is God's power. That's why the book of Hebrews says that the, the, the word of God is, is like a sword, sharper than any two-edged sword that penetrates the very depths of our being. And, and the apostle James or not the Apostle James, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, says, says when you look at the Word, you're actually looking in a mirror. And if you look in that mirror and, and you see yourself, you need to take that seriously and, and change according to that Word because that Word is powerful. It, it, it's, it speaks to us. And it speaks at us. And it changes us. And that's why in Revelation chapter 19, the passage that we looked at or read earlier, uh, we find this, this picture of Jesus coming on a white horse. And you can picture this. Now just picture this. Um, of course, it'll be up front here, and, and there's, there's this giant white horse, and, and Jesus is sitting on it. And John says, I saw standing open... Uh, and there I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes what ju judges and wages war. And his eyes are like blazing. Picture him now. His eye, he's sitting on his white horse. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head it says are many crowns. It's a crown on his head that has many spires on this on this on his head. And he's a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. So it's a name that we, none of us can read. And he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him. That's us. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Now picture this. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike the nations. Up, up until that last image, I can picture it. The last image is kind of odd, isn't it? Because where does, a, where does a soldier hold his sword? In his hand. But this sword comes from his mouth. It's symbolic, isn't it? The whole picture is symbolic, but this is symbolic. And it's symbolic of the word of God. The gospel. The truth that Jesus preaches. And it comes out of his mouth. And it's by that word that he rules the nations. By that word. So how do we take a message like this? We've looked at about a dozen passages between Genesis and Revelation. And, and I promise you that we could look at a hundred dozen more. I've done this, 
and I could have stopped at so many other passages in this in, in the Bible that talks about the power of the Word of God. How do we? What do we do with that? Well, I think I think it would be rather trite for us to to say, okay, read your Bible every day, and then we'll all go home. That's true. You should do that. You should attend church and listen to the to the pastor preach because that's part of this taking in this Word of God. But but that seems too obvious to me. Too simple. I think the application is that we need to trust this word. We need, we need to take it into our lives, yes. But we need to choose to live by it. We need to choose to trust it, to trust its promises and its truth. Because this word is not only true, it's powerful. You and I have heard stories of people who have read this word and whose lives are changed because of reading the word. And I know that Elam Chapel is, is in a discernment process right now about how, where are we going? What are we doing? How do we reach out to our community? What kind of church do we want to be in, in the future? You've had this tremendous history in the past. What kind of church do you want to be in the future? The Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians um, talks about, uh, about the Word of God, and he says, um, make sure that your life, is, make sure that the Word of God dwells richly, and often the translations say in you, but actually he's talking to the church there, and the word in should be translated among. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell among you. And if you as a church are going forward, and you're trying to think, what do we want to look like? I would strongly encourage you, as, especially starting October 19th, as you begin to read this word with, or this book with, I, I strongly encourage you to think about how do we center our life as a church around this word, around this book. Because this, this book, are not, it's not just words on a page. This is your life. And this is how you follow God. And this is how God speaks to you. But more than speaks to you, this is how he does his work. This is powerful stuff. And that's what God wants to do. Let's pray. Father, we pray for ourselves. I pray for myself and Providence uh, and for a center, that we would be centered on your word as a, as a, as a Christ-centered institution. And I pray for Elam Chapel as well, that you would help them to figure out the best way to, to make the word central to all they do. I pray that the word of God, as it has so often in the past, I pray that the word of God would richly dwell here in this congregation. And we pray these things not for our own glory, but for your glory and for the good of your church. Amen.